This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Welcome to The Coolest Show. I am excited for this conversation because today I have with me an environmental and a climate justice advocate extraordinaire, and you'll see why very shortly. (laughs) I have with me Ariel V. King, and she is a 23-year-old environmental justice advocate, educator, and content creator. At her full-time job, she is the environmental justice staff attorney at the Environmental Law Institute in Washington, D.C. There she is developing an environmental justice program grounded in justice principles and focused on advancing EJ through legal research projects and development of accessible educational resources for environmental legal practitioners, decision makers, corporations, and those experiencing environmental injustices. Ariel brings to ELI a background in environmental racism analysis, political ecology, critical race theory, sustainability, civil rights law, and integrating equity and environmental justice considerations into climate actions plan. I told you, she's got an amazing background. (laughs) And did I say that she was 23? Uh, There's so much there. And she is passionate about making environmental education inclusive and accessible to all. Ariel's social media presence focuses on environmental education grounded in environmental racism analysis. She's also the short-form original video content creator for a climate justice resource hub called Intersectional Environmentalists and will host the audience's upcoming podcast focused on environmental justice and climate optimism called the Joy Report. Er has earned her JD and a master's in, envir- in environmental law and policy from Vermont Law School. Whew, man, she's she's staying busy. And again, <laughs> I mean, she was 23, y'all. And she has a BA from Bard College. Uh, so much to get into. I do want to say one thing before I bring Ari on. She mentors students of color interested in attending law school and has traveled to 17 countries with the goal of visiting 25 by her 25th birthday. My goodness, <laughs> she is active, and we need all that energy right now to fight the climate crisis. My dear sister, Ariel, how are you? And how, and, 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 I... and are your arms still <laughs> tired from flying to all these countries? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am doing wonderfully, and I'm actually living on the island of Montserrat, Um for, wow. for the next few months. So that's where I am right now. And I'm so excited to be able to join you today. Yeah. Well, let's just get to this first question we ask everybody. Who is Ariel King? Um, Ariel King is a Black woman, a daughter, a devoted friend, um, a scholar, an advocate, a lover of music. I'm a singer. Um, an intersectional environmentalist, 
and an avid traveler um, and someone who is so passionate about protecting this planet. Mm. I think that's that's mostly who I am. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that plus your bio, I mean, that's a lot. So I want to come back to <laughs> not just who you are and what you've done, but sometimes this question helps us to understand who you are as well. Who is your community? Mm. <sighs> um, I've been thinking about this question so much because it's so powerful. Uh, I think the community I am most proud to, to be aligned with are Black lady environmentalists. Um, I, I think uh, my community is people who recognize that social justice is climate justice. Um, people who went to college early. I started college at 16. Um, and people who love good food but don't like cooking. <laughs> That's my community. <laughs> wow. You know, that, that that's amazing. Now, where are you originally from? Um, so I'm originally from upstate New York. I'm from Albany, from the south end of Albany, actually. And so, you know, growing up there, there wasn't a lot of access to you know, green spaces, but I, I was so encouraged and inspired by the work of this, this one man who worked for the Department of Environmental Conservation. And he was adamant about making sure that inner city kids had opportunities to spend time outdoors and to cultivate a love for nature. And so through him and through through his mentorship, I was able to spend time in the Catskills and learn about river ecology on the Hudson River and go kayaking for the first time, camping and hiking. Um, he taught me how to fish. So, um, so many experiences that, that my classmates just didn't get. And I think because of his, his love and his mentorship, I, I was guided on a path to really devote myself and devote my, my time and energy to, to protecting this beautiful planet. Wow. That's beautiful. And thank that, that individual for just putting those seeds inside you. You mentioned the south yeah. end of Albany. Um, for folks mm -hmm. who don't know Albany, New York, what is that? I know it for a lot of different reasons. One, because it's uh, very important for the state of New York, but it also yes. because it has uh, a prison and many other things there as well. And I know your community yeah. a little bit, but for folks, exp explain more about why you gave that reference point of this of that part of Albany. Sure. Um, the South End of Albany is an environmental justice community for all intents and purposes. It is where um, all the ports are. That's where cargo comes in. That's where the ships dock. That's where the bus depots are for the city. And as many people know, Albany is the capital of New York state. And so um, the South end is a food desert. We have very minimal, you know, access to fresh fruits and vegetables um, outside of the you know, community work that is happening to, to combat those issues, infrastructurally, <laughs> a food desert, I would say. Um, and, and, you know, many students are experiencing environmental harm that is contributing to impacts on their health. So many, many students in the South End have asthma. Um, there was also a train that was carrying crude oil for eight years, um, less than 10 feet away from a housing complex in downtown Albany. Um, 
and it contributed to many residents of the housing complex developing severe types of cancer um, and other health issues. And we called them bomb trains Mm. because if anything bad happened to those trains, it was going to cause tremendous harm to people who are already pretty underserved and overlooked by the general um, scheme of politics. Wow. Now, it's clear you have an impressive, and I do mean impressive background, with deep study. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no. And you kind of mentioned a little bit how you started at 6,000. Well, actually, when did you start? <laughs> I'm glad you... Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking maybe 10 when he first... <laughs> I was like, man, she, maybe she just... Maybe she went right from third grade or fourth grade right into, you know, the dorms <laughs> there. Uh, but now that we got a little bit of background on your community and how many folks mm-hmm. may consider the south end of Albany a sacrifice zone, tell us what has yeah. driven you to build and obtain all these credentials at such a young age. Yeah, um, I learned... You know, because of the work of Brother Youssef, this this man who who mentored me, um, as I mentioned, I, I developed a strong and deep love and devotion for this planet. Um, I was in elementary school when a lot of the science was coming back into like the the mainstream media talking about global warming, which it, which it was which is what it was called at the time, um, and and I really just wanted to do my part. So in elementary school, I started asking my principal to have us celebrate Earth Day and to start recycling more. Um, I've kind of always been involved in in this movement. I my sophomore year of high school, which ended up being my last year of high school, I took an AP environmental science class. And that was really the first time that I recognized the the, the symbiotic relationship between people and planet. And, you know, the, the more we do to contribute to the harm of the environment, the more the environment is going to impact our health. And so it was just like this um, really, really eye-opening experience for me. So when I started college the next year, I dedicated my my educational time to learning more about the environment. So I did environmental and sustainability studies Mm. with a concentration in political ecology, um, which is really just the understanding that our um, geography and where we are and the politics and the political structures within our place um, determines how our relationship to the environment. And so just looking at it at a global scale, but also looking at it at a very, you know, micro scale, there's clear indications that how people grow up and what are the true beliefs of a place um, dictate our relationship to nature and to the outdoors. Now, you are a graduate of Vermont Law which is known for cultivating black scholars in law and environment. One of our producers, we have three amazing, powerful, and, I, and I'm and i actually getting paid to say this, not that I get paid to say this. We have three <laughs> amazing producers, <laughs> Destiny, Cross, and Tamara. And Tamara is also a graduate of Vermont Law. But how has yes. education, with the emphasis of this background, helped or hurt? your connection to the community? Hmm. Um, I went to, um, all of my higher ed experiences were at predominantly white institutions. Hmm. Um, I was one of- 
and from high school or when, um, when, when did that start? Not, even, not in high school. It was really once I started college. So okay. my, my college experience was predominantly white. Um, my grad school experience was predominantly white. My law school experience was predominantly white. Um, and so something that was really important to me was to find community and establish relationships so that I could remember my why. I think a lot of people sometimes go into these these settings and they let the, I don't know, they, they just, their focus shifts um, as, as they're evolving in, in these like very white spaces sometimes. And so something that was extremely important for me was recognizing that there were needs that needed to be filled in the academic setting as a whole. Um, so I, I remember in my, my undergrad studies, there were so many times when um, there were opportunities where our professors could have been talking about Black and you know, Brown scholars in our educational discourse, and it just didn't happen. Um, there were so many opportunities that were missed to kind of integrate us into the environmental landscape. Um, and so one of the things that I was really passionate about was making sure that I was finding, actively seeking out opportunities to connect with people and to learn more about people who look like me in this field. Um, because I knew that we existed. I just wasn't being taught about us. Mm. And so um, I, I had to do my own research and I had to do my own kind of individual study in order to kind of maintain my my sanity in these very, very, and my peace in these very white spaces that were not prioritizing our involvement in this movement. Um, and then doing environmental law, well, first of all, of the like entire law, like lawyer, attorney population in the United States, Black women make up 2% of the national attorney population in the U.S., um, and that's for any type of law. So in environmental law, that that pool is even smaller. Um, and so I have, you know, looked up to so many black women who are in the environmental law space, environmental law space, including your producer, um, recognizing that, you know, there we have made so many incredible contributions and we're still trying to do that. Um, while I was in law school, I helped to found the Environmental Justice Law Society because Although Vermont Law School is a top school for environmental law, there really wasn't a focus on environmental justice. Mm. And there were there was one class that was taught in the summer. And so if you're a traditional um, JD student, you wouldn't even be able to take that class. And there was a clear need and a clear desire to integrate more EJ into that work. And so um, myself and a few other students, we came together and we created EJLS, the Environmental Justice Law mm. Society. And the, the mission was to make sure that we were um, educating ourselves as well as the community at large on environmental justice issues, recognizing that it's not just an urban issue. It's not just a Black issue, which is what a lot of policymakers and community members in a state like Vermont thought. They thought that classification would mean that, you know, property rates would go down instead of, you know, aid being contributed to the communities, rural communities that were experiencing environmental injustice. And so um, it, we actually ended up doing a lot of teaching and education for the environmental agency in the state of Vermont. And that was incredibly beneficial for, for me and very fruitful for me because I, I just learned so much and I recognize that there's such a great need 
for increased education on environmental justice in order to actually achieve and attain all that we're trying to get done. So, yeah, I I think um, finding community and remembering my why has really propelled me through and has helped me stay grounded and stay focused on, on all that I'm trying to do here. Yeah, let me ask you a question on that. I think it's very important for folks mm-hmm. who are listening because um, I am familiar what it means to go. I started out, I, I actually started out at a predominantly white institution and then transferred mm-hmm. I, uh, to mm-hmm. an HBCU and not letting HBCUs off the hook because a lot of them are sometimes very much uh, uh, black face with white thoughts. And so I don't want to say mm-hmm. that all HBCUs Oof. in that environment is a place where you can right. lose your why. But I just I remember sure. being at a, at the white institution. I remember feeling very heavy because I had to almost uplift yeah. the black community at every single juncture. Absolutely. And I remember feeling yeah. like I had to just every single day there was no break. Like I couldn't just like come in there and just be off, so to speak. Like I just couldn't relax. And just be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Just be. Like just, just be okay. You mentioned that with your why. You mentioned that with just the environment. Explain what that means because that's a very toxic and that carries over mm-hmm. a lot of the institutions, but also, mm-hmm. you know, how, how did you just kind of take care of yourself and, and how, and not to be, I'm be frank, how are you now? <laughs> yeah. Um, I took care of myself by actively seeking out spaces where I could just be myself. Um, think that's that's one of the most important things to me at this point um recognizing that the mainstream environmental movement is still overwhelmingly white um and those spaces can be heavy and hard to be in um when i was in law school i found a black theater production company that wasn't far from my my campus and i started volunteering with them um, and they hosted events that just made me feel like home and that was really really beneficial for me and we had a black law students association and so we were all in community together a lot of the time and so that type of stuff is really important and i think you know, my family and my friends are, you know, incredibly supportive and recognize just how hard um, being in the space that I'm in is. And so they're incredibly supportive and talking to my my friends and family is definitely something that, that keeps me going and sustains me. Also music. Um, I love just listening to music. And so that's um, incredibly necessary for, for my happiness and for, for my maintain my maintenance of my, of my mental health for sure. Well, that'll definitely make our other producer cross very happy to hear your music <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before I get to the story of where you are now and this kind of how mm-hmm. these things connect to just the, the movement today, one more question on kind of on this thread. Mm-hmm. If you could go back, now that you know all that you do know, I mean, things that even you probably don't even tell nobody. If you can go back now to your 16-year-old self about this journey, what would you tell her that would be different? Wow. Um 
I would probably tell her to speak up more. Mm. I I would probably tell her not to be afraid mm. to take up space. Um, I I will never forget my freshman year of college. Um, I was in an environmental ethics class, and the whole entire one of our entire class periods was spent um, t- discussing the ways that um, the animal system and the animal food system is compared to um, chattel slavery of like, you know, the enslavement of African people. Mm. And instead of speaking up and talking about how wrong that was, or even telling an administrator um, what was going on at the time, I sat there quietly because I was the only black person in the class trying to hold back tears the whole Mm. time. Um, And I just, um, I think I would tell my 16 year old self to just be more, speak up more, um, because that would have been a really important learning experience for my classmates. If I were to drop a little bit of history and drop a little bit of knowledge, um, their way, eventually I did end up writing a paper for that class talking about just how wrong that entire concept was and how it was the erasure of centuries of prosecution and persecution um, of a very particular group who is still experiencing the burdens and hardships of of that experience and how, you know, the animal food system is bad, but there is really no comparison between the two. Um, And so, and, you know, my professor gave me a D because he didn't like what I had to say. And I had Mm. to petition like um, to to get that reread and so to get my grade changed. So I, and I recognize that I have used my writing um, as an outlet and as an opportunity to educate. And now I'm using social media for that, but I really do wish I could tell my former self to, to speak up more in the moment. Wow. Wow. That's heavy. Um, yeah. So let's get to some of what's happening now. In your view, what is the specific challenges our community faces? Why? And what does it look and feel like? Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is lack of funding um, to be able to create solutions with our best interests in mind. Um, I, I think there, I know that there has been a historical exclusion of our community from decision-making from the environmental movement as a whole. And, you know, I, I think there obviously is space for, you know, creating dialogue and having, you know, evolving law in order to contribute to a more inclusive system that does, you know, take consider, take into consideration our existence and our disproportionate impacts. Um, but I also recognize that there are so many groups that are that have started and that have been here for for decades that have been contributing so positively to our evolution and our progress and just environmentalism as a whole that just don't get enough funding um, and don't get enough resources to to truly reach their full potential. Um, and so I think at this point, 
And I'm so excited and inspired by the way that um, foundations are now recognizing this wow. and they're recognizing the, the disparities in funding for like black owned and black led organizations in the environmental space. And so there's now a shift and a push and a prioritization of that. Um, but I would like to see more of it. And I would like to see more education about the political system and about environmentalism um, because I think so many of us were raised as environmentalists without even knowing it. I think so many of our practices are ones that are more sustainable than what, you know, our white counterparts were doing growing up. And so, um, but because of the erasure of our existence in the environmental space, there, there's no recognition of that and there's no appreciation of that. And so I think, um, Something that's incredibly important is just reclaiming our connection to this planet and reconnecting um, to our ex- ancestral knowledge with the land and really seeking and attaining environmental liberation. Tell us about the Environmental Law Institute. What is, what is its history and what, what is that actually? Sure. Um, the Environmental Law Institute is a think and do tank. Um, we do environmental I like, law I like and that governance a lot, work. I think and do. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah, you know, we can't just think about it. We got to do something too. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Eli's mission is to make law work for people, places, and the planet. Um, so we're we're working to build a set of tools that will help communities receive the legal services that they need at no cost and provide accessible updates on environmental justice initiatives at the state, local, and federal level, and to offer continued learning experiences for practitioners, um, in-house counsel, law and policymakers, and anyone else who would like to expand their knowledge of environmental justice through the legal lens. So that's kind of my particular role at the Environmental Law Institute. ELI has been around for over 50 years um, and has served as a research institute that has contributed to the advancement of environmental law in a multitude of ways, not only in the U.S., but also globally. So I was hired as the environmental justice staff attorney a little, um, a little under a year ago in order to build out an environmental justice program with all of the things that I just mentioned in mind. Let me ask you a question. How, how does your work at Eli uh, kind of help you to basically ride for your community? Hmm. Um, I, well, there's one project that I'm, two projects that I'm extremely excited about right now. One is our new pilot program with Howard Law School. It's Mm. called EJ and the Law. Um, And so I have hired a group of Howard Law students to be able to create monthly updates on environmental justice law policy and casework. And so that information will be accessible to anyone who wants to receive it um, on our website at ELI. And so this creates a lot of really important opportunities. One, to be able to There aren't any other places that are kind of putting together that type of information um, in such an accessible way. 
Um, generally, that type of information is held behind paywalls. Um, it's not consolidated in that way so that you can really do like true comparisons of what other states are doing um, in the environmental justice space. And so it's a really, really crucial tool that I'm very, very excited about. We also have a clerkship program with um, Howard Law. So we we have one um, clerk, um, law clerk from Howard come every semester and it's a paid clerkship opportunity because um, I don't believe in letting people do things for free, um, Amen. especially people of color, especially black. <laughs> people. Um, yeah, we got to pay people for their labor. Absolutely. Um, and then we also just launched our pro bono clearinghouse, which is an opportunity for um, clinics and environmental nonprofits who do clinical work um, to be able to share with us any cases that they are not able to complete due to bandwidth limitations or things of that nature with the priority and emphasis of being able to connect communities who have been environmentally overburdened with free legal services to be able to get their needs met. So I am extremely excited about that program um, because we have a a very, very long list of connections in the environmental law world. So our role in the clearinghouse is to be able to hopefully connect um, our attorney network with communities who um, who need legal services done. No, well, let's let's move to the final chapter here for you in this process, kind of your future <laughs> and where all this goes, because it's clearly been amazing over these first twenty three yeah. years and. The next, the next forty years could be, could be, <laughs> hopefully, will be successful for us as a movement. So, what do you intend <laughs> to be your legacy of your work? And I just want to add a caveat to that: How does liberation fall into your work? Hmm. Okay. Um, I I think I want the legacy of my work to be. Lots of people behind me recognizing that they have a role in this work and wanting to contribute to this work. Um, you know, growing up, as I mentioned, I didn't see many people who looked like me doing environmental work. Um, and so it means the world to me that there are people who now look to me for mentorship to be able to contribute to um, environmental protection in one way or another. I think I also, as it relates to environmental liberation, hopefully the impact of my work will lead to um, at least, at the very least, a recognition that environmental liberation is possible and really showing what that can look like. And um, I hope for that to look like, you know, laws being being changed with, <laughs> with, with the intent of making sure that those who are most impacted by environmental harm seek protection, um, recognizing that if we prioritize those who are receiving the most harm, then everyone else benefits um, instead of the other, other way around, which is what we have seen and which which is what we continue to see. And so I, I hope that my work leads to a shift um, or at least that I will be a part of a group of people who are creating a shift in, in the way that we think about environmentalism, in the way we think about environmental law, in the way that we integrate racial and social justice into this movement, recognizing that we cannot do one without the other. And I think that's it. Um, I think that's what I would like my legacy to be. No, that's, that's a good legacy. Now, you know, if we were in court, yeah. I, would, I, I would sit at 
up here and say, counselor, now tell us what <laughs> is environmental liberation? Um, environmental liberation to me means just being able to exist on this planet um, freely without hindrances of pollutants, um, being able to contribute to governance and have things not just happen to you, um, be involved in the decision-making process. Environmental liberation to me includes uh, education that is accessible and holistic, recognizing that we shouldn't be hindering people or excluding people from a certain movement or a certain anything just because they lack a certain type of credential. Um, I think environmental liberation is that which prioritizes the the lived experiences of those who are living in sacrifice zones um, with, with the ultimate goal of eliminating that term in general. <laughs> I think that's, that's my environmental liberation dream is eliminating sacrifice zones, um, you know, either better distributing any type of pollutants or harm or whatever, so that it's not just, you know, cumulatively impacting certain areas or eradicating all of the, the means that contribute to that harm in the first place. Um, environmental liberation to me also includes no longer being dependent on fossil fuels and all that that encapsulates and all that that contributes to a better future. So yeah, I think that's what environmental liberation means to me. No. Well, let me add something to that as we ask you almost to the end and you've been amazing. And so thank you. You've been yeah. amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let me ask you the next question. You may, we may, before, before you hold that amazing, I got, I got access. <laughs> you may be like, hmm, I'm not sure uh -oh. if I want to give Rev that, that amazing <laughs> here. I want to speak to your community from South End, mm -hmm. um, Albany. Mm -hmm. um, they may feel that environmental liberation is the fact that centered in blackness and that they are being killed by white supremacy. And they also yeah. may say to you, they may be like, listen, we love Ariel. Ariel King is such a, a beacon, but the reality is, is that she escaped in some aspects, mm -hmm. and we're still being killed mm -hmm. here. And while she's gone around these folks, predominantly white people, who've yep. given her an amazing education, we are still here dying. And environmental liberation is the freedom of black people. And when you free black people, yeah. then everybody else is free. It could be free as well. But the most important part of that is that it comes through the understanding of that this system is trying to kill through genocide people of color, yeah. black, brown, and indigenous, but primarily black people through this process. And so with that as a backdrop, that is the understanding how would you go back to them to tell them that I am here not in charity, but in solidarity with that understanding of liberation for them? Hmm. I think I, again, I've never forgotten my why um, in all of my work, and I intend to live this way. My why is to be able to protect my people. My why is to be able to provide resources 
um, so that my people can attain self-determination and so that we can attain access. Um, I also recognize that it, it may seem like I've I've left. Um, and, and I think that's something that I try to do is to go back and make clear that my intention is to help everyone, but especially to help my people. Um, I, during the summer of 2020, I helped start an organization in Albany called Elevate 518, um, with the goal of kind of centering black voices, black women's voices in the movement for black lives matter. Um, recognizing that, you know, if it, but for say, say her name, there would be so few opportunities for black women's stories to be centered and prioritized in this movement. And it's certainly not to diminish the, the fact that black men are being targeted, but it's also just a recognition that black women are also victims of, of racialized crime and racialized harm. And so, um, I, I think the the work that I continue to do in that community is a reminder to people that I haven't abandoned anyone. And I, I hope that the work that I do at the Environmental Law Institute and the work that I do with intersectional environmentalists makes clear that I am helping at a national scale, um, which includes Albany, <laughs> which includes the South end of Albany. And so um, I think, I think that's what, that's what I would respond. Mm. So I just have two more questions for you. Uh, okay. And the last one kind of piggybacks on what you just said. And that one goes mm -hmm. to what's the vision of the future you're fighting for? Uh, you know, paint mm -hmm. us a picture. Okay. Um, a, a future that I'm fighting for is one where I don't have to, teach people about what environmental racism is. It's, it's understood and it's, there are tons of, there's tons of intention behind trying to eradicate it. Um, recognizing that it's a systemic issue and so it can't be eradicated overnight, but at least people are actively combating it collectively. Um, I am working towards a world where, again, there is self-determination for my people and for people who have been marginalized and racialized and environmentally impacted um, disproportionately. Um, it is an opportunity for growing food and being involved in ending food apartheid. Um, that's the world that I'm trying to create. Though I, I want to er figure out ways to contribute to the erad eradication of racialized violence and harm in every aspect, um, recognizing that environmentalism kind of is the source. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. And that's the world I would like to, to see happen. Yeah. This is my last question for you, Errol. Thank you so much. And this is, you mentioned intersectional yeah. environmentalists. And I understand mm -hmm. you all have a new podcast coming out that I believe yes. you're hosting. And so tell us what it's about. That's correct. And, and okay. you know, when can we look forward to it in that whole process? Okay. So, yes, I am the, the host and the podcast is called The Joy Report. The goal is to create 
an opportunity to share positive climate updates and news and really combat these feelings of climate anxiety and climate grief, recognizing that movements that are propelled and fueled by joy are so much more sustainable than those that are fueled by dread and hate. Um, And so we are providing opportunities to talk about important things that are happening in the climate space that will uplift, will always add a call to action at the end. I would say you can think of it sort of like the style of something like The Daily, where we're focusing on one topic for the episode, but we are tying in historical context and connections to other things, um, and then providing updates on other environmental justice and climate justice, um, positive news stories and things that people should know about. And then you might also hear about things that are happening in the IE community as well. So um, we're we're very excited about this podcast and it will be launched um, at the end of March. So not sure when this episode will be released, but that that is the plan. And I'm absolutely excited for, for people to take a listen. No. Well, I'm excited to listen because I'm excited for so many reasons to join you to the podcast family, giving you this. Yay. (laughs) How can people best support you? How can they access Mm -hmm. the resources you mentioned earlier at Eli and and elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say on our website, um, I at eli.org. You can learn about different things that are happening at the Environmental Law Institute. Um, Also, Intersectional Environmentalist has a very large presence on social media, so you can find resources there. I run their TikTok page, um, so I'm on there posting about um, positive climate news and environmentalists who have been under amplified in this movement. So I did a whole Black History Month series last month in the midst of developing a women's history series and um, also just sharing positive climate news there. So you can find me on any of those places. I also have um, my personal social media stuff. It's at Ariel V King on every platform. So that's, that's me. Well, let me just ask to say this. Is there anything you need from us or uh, the community at large? And I'm talking about you now. I'm talking um, about Eli. Now I'm about Eli. Oh. <laughs> you need now. We're going to go there. We're going to support that process. But what do you, sure. do you need from us or our community at large? Um, I would, I just need more of us to, to get involved. Um. I, I want more of us to, to recognize that we have a place in this movement, um, regardless of what they might have heard. And so just recognizing that everyone needs to be involved in this fight to protect the planet in order for it to succeed. So that's definitely just what I need from, from all of our all of the listeners. Um, and, you know, I, I think listening to this podcast is a great step in the right direction. Um, there are so many incredible environmental leaders who have gone through and, you know, been able to speak on this podcast. I would say people who haven't listened to past episodes absolutely should. And, you know, just recognize that the people who are advocating for this planet and doing all of this important work, we're, we're normal people, you know, there's, there's not much that's absolutely extraordinary about us that separates us from everyone else. And so, 
I, I think the, the main thing that does separate us is our willingness to, to put ourselves out there. And so I, I'd really just encourage and implore people to, to be willing to kind of take a step out of their comfort zone and contribute to the movement in the way that they feel will best align with their skills and talents. Mm. Amazing. Our guest today is environmental and climate justice advocate, Ariel King. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to repeat.